0: So I'm gonna tell you a joke, all right, you ready? Amen. This is one of my favorite jokes when I was a kid. I tried on the college class this morning and we'll see if y'all respond better. What's worse than finding an apple, I mean a worm in your apple? Finding half a worm. The, the college kids were told that they'd get like extra credit in class if they uh, laughed loud. But yeah, okay. So you, you bite into a worm and eat half. You bite into an apple and eat half the worm. That's kind of gross, right? Yeah. Who wants to do that? Anybody? Oh, boo. All right. So one of my favorite my, my favorite fruit is the apple. Um, I don't I don't know how often people think of hey, what's your favorite fruit? Um, but but apples a- apples are good. And and when an apple is is nice and fresh and hasn't been like, you know, out of season too long. Man, they're great. And, and there's so many different types of apples. Like growing up, my, my grandfather had an apple orchard that he planted in the early 70s. Um, and, and so he had some red delicious apples and some gold delicious apples. And, and he had two trees that were white Russian apples. Now, if you want really good applesauce, White Russian apples are the way to go. But man, you can do everything with apples. You can make bu- apple butter. You can make apple jelly. You can make apple juice. You can make apple cider. You can make apple pie. You can make apple dumplings. Man, you get apple, 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 apple. And when apples are good, they are really, really good. Some people like firm apples. Some people like apples that are a little bit softer and, and not like going bad softer. Like there are some, varieties of apple that aren't quite as firm we in the last few years have 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 come to experience honey crisp apples I mean honey crisp apples is like just drinking apple juice straight from the apple when they're good but when they're not quite ripe when they're not quite there they're not so good but then there are crab apples they're the size of a cherry maybe a little bit bigger than a cherry you bite into one of those things and your face goes inside out because they are sour I really, really, really like apples. I don't like melons. I I don't like melons at all. Watermelon, cantaloupe, honeydew. Addison, our daughter, you give her a bowl full of watermelon, it will be gone in about 10 minutes. She might not eat anything else. She will fight you on everything else you put in front of her. Watermelon and cantaloupe, done. It's gone. Now, what does all this have to do? What does all this have to do with the book of Genesis In Genesis chapter? Oh, true story. Um, I was supposed to do my PowerPoint this week and I forgot my power cord to my laptop so I didn't get done. And I was like, I told Christy Thursday, I was like, I didn't have my power so I haven't done, my lap, uh, haven't done my PowerPoint, but I got to remember uh, to make sure that I, I do that. Except my laptop went, come on, the battery was dead. And, and I was like, I got to make sure I remember to do that this weekend. Didn't remember. Um, I did it this morning at like six o'clock forgot to email it to somebody or bring it on a thumb drive to put on the computer. So you're going to have to use extra good listening skills to if you want to fill in your blank today to catch where we're going. But we're going to be in Genesis chapter six. Genesis chapter six, looking at the first 12 verses, um, kind of an odd passage of scripture in some regards, but one that is very dynamic for where we are today and who you are and who I am and, and where we're going as we look at this whole idea of Genesis and how God chose Christ and Christ was the plan from the very beginning. So Genesis chapter six, the first 12 verses says this, now it came about when man began to multiply on the face of the earth and daughters were born to them that the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they took wives for themselves, whomever they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not strive with man forever, because he is also flesh. Nevertheless, his days will be numbered 120 years. Now the Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, and they bore children to them. Those were the mighty men who were of old, men of renown. Then the Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great on the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually." The Lord was sorry that he had made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. And the Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land, from man to animals to creeping things and to the birds of the sky, for I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. These are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah became the father of three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way upon the earth. Let's pray. Father, as we look into the face of your holiness, as we we gaze upon your glory and on your beauty, as we consider how magnificent and how great is our God, the true God, the living God, Father, we, like Isaiah, reflect on who we are and think we're unclean. It's in staring at your beauty that we see our ugliness It's in staring at your holiness that we see our sinfulness. It's in ser- staring at your perfection that we can truly see our corruption. But God, I ask that today, in seeing your beauty and you're seeing your glory and seeing your holiness, that we don't remain in corruption, but that we go into what is the incorruptible realm of glory because of Christ Jesus today. Holy Spirit of God, fill us, fill this place. Use me, God. Get, get me out of the way. Use me to, to share your word, your hope, your gospel, your peace today. Father, we love you. And we ask all this in the glorious name of Christ. Amen. So we get into this passage of Scripture. Like I said, it's, 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 a, it's a little awkward. I, I'm not, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. There are some odd things in this passage of Scripture There are some things that kind of defy human reasoning and logic. But the most startling thing in all of this passage is that God himself, the one who made heaven and earth, the one who spoke into existence all the birds and the fish and the trees and the stars and and everything, but then took time to kneel into the dirt and draw out of the dirt something that he could form into fashion into us into whom he would breathe his very breath of life that God would say, I'm sorry I ever made that. I'm sorry I ever made that why remember I love apples I love apples when they're good you ever bit into a bad apple one that was I don't know maybe towards the bottom of the cellar before it got shipped to the supermarket the one that sat in your pantry for maybe two weeks too long the one that it wasn't just soft, it was grainy. You ever bit into a grainy apple? You, you, ever, you ever bit into an apple that just, mm. See, that didn't just happen. That apple went bad over a period of time. You can look at the world around us today and think, man, we are in a mess. It has never been this bad. It has never been like this. But here's the deal. The Bible shows us that corruption is not a recent development. Corruption is not a recent development. You find no greater corruption than when elections come in American society. It doesn't matter whether you vote red, green, blue, purple, pink, orange, green, geranium, I don't know what you vote. You don't see corruption heightened any more than when it comes to power and someone going for office. You think, well, it used to be that day in the old days. Sure it did. I've long thought that maybe we could settle some of our disparity as Americans because, I mean, we're, we're really divided. I feel sorry for whoever actually ends up becoming governor of the state of Georgia because the moment you step foot into office, half the, half the state hates you just because you are who you are. It doesn't matter if you're Stacy or if you're Brian. doesn't matter. Half the state hates you. I felt sorry for, for the president of the United States. It doesn't matter if it was Hillary or Donald. Half the country hates you just because of who you are. Seems like there should be a better way, doesn't it? Seems like there should be something greater. But, you know, I thought, well, maybe we need to go back to the way it used to be back in the 1800s where it, you didn't pick a vice president. Whoever lost the election was your vice president. Could you imagine Donald and Hillary in the White House together? Could you, I would like to see that actually. It kind of looked like Jerry Springer, but it'd be great. See, we can long for a different day, but a different day didn't end in civility. We can go back to the 1800s and the way things were done in Congress and everything and usually ended up in a shootout in the streets. We could go back to a day and think that it was greater in yesteryear, but there were rights that were not granted to people whose skin tone was darker to women that we have now. Because corruption has always been going on. It's not a recent development. One of the most corrupt societies that ever existed was the Roman Empire. You go back 50, the days of Jesus 2,000 years ago was some of the most corrupt times of the world. You go back 2, 3, 4,000 years before that. Right here to the book of Genesis chapter 6, And you see such corruption and such wickedness that God said, I want to wipe all these people out and start over. Praise God he's not doing that right now. Because the Bible recounts a long history of evil. In many ways, you can boil the Old Testament down to, this, this is overly simplistic, overly simplistic, but... You can boil the Old Testament down to one basic thing. God's holy, we're not, we need a savior. God's holy, he gives us a law that we can't upkeep, so we need someone who could uh, uphold it for us and come in on his glory and his honor and his righteousness. The the Old Testament leaves us with that, that understanding that we need something better. We need something better. Because the Bible continues. And look at this. It says, it came about when the men began to multiply on the face of the earth. See, they're doing what God commanded them to do. He said, fill the land, multiply. So they're doing what they were supposed to do. But they left the God part out of it. It says that they were, they were filling the earth and on the face of the earth. And the daughters were born to them. And the sons of God thought that the daughters of men were beautiful. And they took wives from themselves or whoever they chose. And the Lord said, "I can't. man can't bear up under this forever. And that's kind of troubling, I know. Who are these sons of God? Who are the daughters of men? There are a lot of theories. Uh, One one points to the the use of the language, the sons of God, as as being powerful regents or kings. Other parts of the Bible in the Old Testament talks of those that were, that were in authority and, and talking about them as being as one who was a son of God. Uh, the, the king of Babylon called himself one of the sons of God. One of the, one of the, uh, uh, the um, societies that, that predated the Greeks and the Romans uh, over there in what is now Italy and Greece and that kind of area of Europe, they called themselves sons of God. As a matter of fact, Julius Caesar was said to have called himself a son of God as a king. But that doesn't really fit here. It's easy for us to wrap our mind around, okay, well, this was just a high, mighty power that went about the people and chose whoever he wanted to be for his wife, but they weren't really of the chosen line of Seth. Some would even say that maybe these sons of God were were of the line of Cain. You remember, Cain got rejected. He got sent out of the garden after he killed his brother. He got pushed out and God said, I'm gonna avenge whoever lays his hand on you, but you're not my chosen line. So God gave to Adam and Eve another son, Seth. So maybe this is one of the sons of uh, Cain that has come to take one of the daughters of Seth for his wife. Well, I don't really believe, given the sentence given to Cain and the expulsion from the presence of God in Genesis 3, excuse me, Genesis 4, that Cain would be called a son of God. This is mind-boggling. But I believe that the New Testament paints the picture of what's going on here in the book of First Peter, and again in 2 Peter, in the book of Jude. You can just write these scriptures, just write them in the margins of your, of your outline there. First uh, Peter chapter 3, it says in verse 18, For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit, in which he went also and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison who were once disobedient when the patience of God kept waiting in the days of Noah during the construction of the ark in which a few, that is eight persons were brought safely through the water. What were the days of Noah? Who are these spirits? Well, Peter gives us that information in 1 Peter chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 4 says, God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell and committed them to pits of darkness reserved for judgment, and did not spare the ancient world but preserved Noah, a preacher of righteousness with seven others. So we've got angels that have left their proper realm and done something that God punished them in the days of Noah. Maybe the book of Jude gives us the clearest picture. The book of Jude, Jude doesn't have any chapters, it's one short chapter. But in the book of Jude, it says, excuse me, um, I lost my place. There it is. Verse five I desire to remind you, though you know all things once for all, that the Lord, after saving a people out of the land of Egypt, subsequently destroyed those who did not believe. He's pointing back to the Exodus. You can find this story in Numbers chapter 13, 14, and then forward. But verse 6 says, And angels who did not keep their own domain but abandoned their proper abode, he has kept in eternal bonds under darkness for judgment of the great day. I believe that some of the fallen angels of God, those that chose to follow Lucifer, the angel of light, the worship leader of heaven, who was cast out before time began to this world, the one third that followed him, I believe that they somehow took on human form and entered into the women and made them wives and created this odd thing. I think the Bible supports that. But here's the thing, all it shows is corruption, All it shows is wickedness. All it shows is the presence of a demonically powerful power that undergirds what's going on in the world. It's not new. It's not new. You see what happens when Adam and Eve choose to disobey the voice of the Lord, their God, disobey his command and say, You know what, God, I know you told us not to eat of the fruit of that tree, but we're going to anyway. It looks good. It's not going to hurt me, so why not? But it says there in that passage of Scripture, it says there in that passage of Scripture, verse 5, that the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great on the earth and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. Folks, we've got to wrap our minds and our hearts around this truth that evil lurks behind every action. Evil lurks behind action. You remember what God said to Cain? Um, Cain, don't let your countenance fall. You've got to master this, but behold, sin is crouching at your door. Ladies and gentlemen, we're no better we might have the gospel. We might have Jesus. We might have this redeemed air about ourselves, but we've got to wrap our minds around the corruptness of the world and that this is the world that we, where we live and the world that shades our thought and the worries that shades our intention. He says there in this passage of scripture, and that, keep, keep in mind, this is the aftermath of sin. This is what happens when sin is introduced into the world. He says there that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. That's why we need a savior. That's why you and I need a redeemed heart. We need a transformed heart. We need that new heart that God promises us in the book of Ezekiel. I'm gonna take your heart of stone and I'm gonna give you a heart of flesh. He says in Jeremiah, I'm gonna give you a new heart that has my law written on it. I'm gonna give you a heart where my Holy Spirit can reside in you forever. That's what we need. Because corruption runs rampant in this world and the thoughts that we have. I mean, I'll just, just isolate yourself just a little bit. Pull yourself out of church world for just a second. Place yourself alone because you know who you are. You know you better than I know you. You know better than your mom and daddy know you. You know you better than your spouse knows you. You know you. Well, what What happened? if we placed a monitor cam in your car as you're driving in Atlanta traffic, are we going to get glimpses of righteousness continually? (laughs) I don't think so. Hey, what if we could play all the thoughts that go on in your heart and in your mind when your husband or your wife disappoints you a little bit? Man, I see we've got a lot of people on the balcony today. That's warmer up there, isn't it? Cold day, man, that's the place to sit, man. It gets you a little bit closer to the, the heat windows up there. Hey, if you ever want to know what a sauna feels like, it's right up there on the top. So, um, yeah. That corruption kind of lurks in, Right? That's what Jesus gives us in the Sermon on the Mount. says, hey, it's not just that you're angry. It's not just that you killed somebody. It's that you were angry enough to do it. That's the sin. It's not just that you committed adultery. It's that you had the lust in your heart. That's the intent of our heart continually, always. God knew before Adam and Eve said, I'll take a piece of that fruit. It does look good. It will will satisfy my craving right now. God knew what the knowledge of good and evil would do to his special image bearers. Man, I wish that piece of fruit had been the knowledge of the greatness of God. You eat that, you eat that fruit of the knowledge of the greatness of God, that's all that's going on in your heart and mind all the time is the knowledge of the greatness of God, but it was the knowledge of good and evil. And when we know evil, we see evil and we become blind to evil, and we become pacified by evil to where the next evil no longer shakes us. I can remember when I was in college, I was a freshman at Mercy University. I was watching TV one time um, and, I, and I saw this ad two or three times, but it was advertising like a, a, an independent film, an independent movie. And, and the thing about it, was, it showed some disturbing things in the scene, but the disclaimer at the end was, this movie is guaranteed to offend you no matter who you are. Now, I want you to think about the pattern of desensitization that takes place that would lead someone to say, I'm going, man, it, 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 showed, it showed, I'm not even going to tell you because it, it was so debased. Like some of the images are ingrained in my mind. And they were showing it on TV with the guarantee it's going to offend you no matter who you are. Now, there's the prideful part of it that says, you know, I could watch that and not be offended by it, so I'm going to expose myself to it. But by being exposed to it, you start desensitizing yourself to it so that you are less offended when that evil occurs later and later and later. That's, that's why. That's why sometimes it's easier for us to consume such uh, pornographic images on our television now that we never would have been able to consume on regular TV 50 years ago because we've become so desensitized to it. Evil lurks behind. The exposure to evil, the knowledge of evil, produces a system in which we become desensitized to evil and no longer see it as evil. We don't. It's the proverbial frog in the boiling pot. Being a cold-blooded mammal, a cold-blooded amphibian, it no longer recognizes the temperature until it's too late. This is why we're looking at the book of Genesis. To see that the world where we live was not the world that was designed, but it's because of sin. It's through our own fault, our own action, our own sinfulness that we have to come to grips with the greatness of our Savior. But the startling thing here, verse 11 and 12 shows us that this level of evil does not remedy itself. Look at what he says in verse 11 and 12. The earth was corrupt in the sight of God, and the earth was filled with violence. God looked on the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. Does that sound familiar? corruption and violence, corruption and violence, corruption and violence, corruption and violence. How many, how many more times are we going to wake up and the first thing we hear on the news is a mass shooting? How, how many times are we going to wake up and, and hear on the news of an unarmed black man being shot? How many times are we going to wake up and see in the news and see what's going on in the world and just be like, it's another day. Does the picture of verse 11 and 12 not scream 21st century America to you? Come on, we just went through an election cycle. It should. It should. But it doesn't remedy itself. It continues because this is the world that God said, I'm getting rid of it. I'm wiping it away. So a couple of weeks ago, had some apples at the house and, and they were Honeycrisp apples. Remember I told you I like the Honeycrisp ones. And, and here's the thing about the Honeycrisp ones. If, if you're going to get a good one, it's usually about the size of a softball. Th- those are the good ones. The ones that are about the size of like a tennis ball, they got a little ways to go. So, so I was cutting the apples and, and Christy doesn't really like apples the way I do. Um, she, she will eat them if, you know, like that's part of what we're having for that meal. But, you know, she's not going to be like, hmm, let me go to the store and buy me some apples to eat. You know, that's just, that's just not her. So one of the things that I noticed as I was slicing, we got one of those things, it's, it's, it's a circle about that big around and it takes the core out and cuts it into eight pieces and you Push it on there and all that stuff. Um, so, so as I was getting ready to to cut, I realized that the apple that I was cutting for Christy had a big bruise on this one side over here. And, and I knew it was like, well, she's not gonna eat that. So so I I cut that one and I put it on my plate and gave her the one that I pulled out for me because it didn't have a bruise on it. And then I went over here and I grabbed a knife and I just cut that bruise part out. Right? It's like a simple remedy. See, that's one of the cool things about apples. Is you can have a bruised part of your apple, and you can just cut it out, and the rest of it's fine. It's not going to hurt you. It's good, man. It's just going to taste great. It's Just that bruised part might be a little bit off. It's not like it's not like a watermelon. I mean, I don't like watermelon anyway. But like, if you've got one bad section of the watermelon, it kind of permeates through the whole thing, right? Or or or, or even like or an orange or or or, or um, citrus fruit. You know, you get one bad spot, it taints the whole thing. But not an apple bananas you get a bruise on a banana it makes the whole thing kind of mushy and soft and you know some people just don't like mushy and soft bananas you know some people don't bananas they, they turn color I Man, you cut a banana like you know you, man, it's a nice banana you cut it and you walk away for like five minutes to go wash your hands or do something and you come back and it looks like you know my shoe I mean it's just it's just like brown and black it's like I'm not gonna, oh, I'm not gonna eat that it's like I just turned around that's all I did but see, the thing about an apple is if you've got that bruise and you don't cut it out right then, that bruise seeps all the way down into the core. Even if the apple is still on the tree, that bruise doesn't heal itself. The corruption continues to set in and it goes deeper and deeper and deeper. Deeper. And then you're left with this brown, mushy mess that you can do nothing with. And God is sitting there holding the planet that he had created. And he realizes that there is nothing that is going to fix itself in this system. And so he says there in verses six and seven, he was sorry that he had made man on the earth. He grieved in his heart. The Lord said, I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of land from man to animals to creeping things to birds of the sky for I am sorry that I have made them. Folks, here's what I want you to hear. Because God is not just speaking in direct terms. He is speaking about this particular time in human history. But I believe that he is speaking throughout all the annals of history, even to today. God does not take sin. God does not take corruption lightly. He doesn't take it lightly. He does not turn a blind eye to it. He does not ignore it. He does not say, ah, well, that's just a little bit. It'll be okay. See, God sees the corruption and the sinfulness and knows that an action has to be taken. It says there in that passage of scripture that he was sorry he had made man on the earth and that it was gr- he was grieved in his heart. Folks, your sin and my sin grieves God. All sin grieves God. All sin pierces to the heart of God's holy nature and character. All sin points back to God and says, this is not what you created. This was not how you designed it. All sin grieves God. Why? Because God wanted something greater and better than what sin brings. That's why God designed Eden. That's why God placed Adam and Eve in a place that was beautiful, a place that was fruitful, a place that knew no corruption, knew no death, knew no brokenness. It was great. I I told our college class this morning, I am of the belief because the command of scripture to Adam was to multiply and fill the earth. I am of the belief that had that, uh, that piece of fruit never been eaten, had the knowledge, the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil never been touched, never been eaten, never been consumed, that we'd all be living in Eden today. Think about that. All of us. You remember that grandmother that you had that passed away years ago? She'd be, still be there. That great, great uncle that you've heard stories about from years ago and how good of a man he was, he'd still be there. There'd been no war. Think about how crowded it'd be though, right? There'd be no war, there'd be no death, no Holocaust, no flood that wiped out the earth, none of that. We would all be right there. You know what, God's awesome enough that he knew that and he would have made it big enough for us to all fit and not feel crowded. You wouldn't have to put up a privacy fence. You wouldn't even have to make sure your blinds were closed at night because there would be no night kind of reminds me of where God has, is sending us because of the blood of Christ. That beautiful garden recaptured in Revelation at the end of all pain, the end of sin, the end of the curse, when Jesus finally, finally brings to us the fullness of victory, but we don't get there yet because we still live in sin and sin grieves God. Not just the big sins. Not not, not just homosexuality, not just abortion, not just adultery, not just drunkenness. Pride. That that little half-truth. You do realize a half-truth is a whole lie, right? (laughs) Even that brings grief. Even that put Christ on the cross. All, All of it. The thought, that, the thought that we know a better way, the thought that we could do something better than what God has provided, the thought that, that, that we could do something better than someone else, the thought that we are better than someone else, that, that prideful, that up. See, I believe that pride is the, the root of all sin. It's the, I know better than God, so I'm gonna do my way. It's, it's a self-centered Pride. That's what it is. And it brings us into this collision with the, with the nature of God and it brings grief to God. It says, look here. He says, he says I, I am sorry that I made man. You ever been truly sorry that you did something? I mean, truly sorry, not that mama's making me apologize sorry. You know that one, right? I'm not really sorry, but I better say I'm sorry so we can get on with life. That really, really, really sorry. All the married people know that one. Words come out. <clears throat> can we just cut my tongue off so I don't do that one again? That kind of sorry. God was so sorry that He had made man his image bearer his special creation that it says that he was going to destroy it all notice the words that he uses I will blot out man whom I have created from the face of the land from man to animals to creeping things and to birds of the sky God was doing away with all of it. Remember why God created all of it. He created us so that we could know and enjoy Him forever, but He created everything else for our enjoyment, to sustain us, to give us the ability to see His greatness of His provision. He, did all, he said, "I'm just going to wipe away all of it because these people are so messed up. Because God's holy nature requires for sin to be punished. God's holy, I I wish it could be another way. I really wish that sin didn't exist. But God's holy nature requires that sin would be punished. We're talking about a holy God here. We're not talking about some kid that created a cool Lego world. We're not even talking about a dad who wants things in a certain way in his house or a mom that somehow hasn't, ended her kids. Moms, I feel sorry for you. How, how y'all have the strength to not like haul off and, whoo, man. I've seen your kids, I know. I've seen mine too. Yeah. Because God's holy. It's not just you You upset me, you made me mad, you hurt my feelings. You violated the pure holiness of God, you see this tree over here, Adam? This is the tree that, ha, and the fruit that it has on. This is the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You, man, you can take your pick of everything else, but of this one, hey, it's up there. Has it been up there the whole time? How did y'all? That's amazing. Because usually it's back there too and I didn't even see it. That's amazing. Okay, sorry. I got distracted there for just a, I'm so ADD. I I apologize for that. Where was I? What was I saying? Oh yeah, don't eat of any of this. Eat of all this, but don't eat of this one over here. Because in the day that you eat of it, you will definitely, most assuredly, completely, and totally, without a doubt, die and you thought that because you didn't die the day that you ate that apple that you escaped the punishment but that wasn't the death to come god's holiness requires for sin to be punished but can i tell you the cool part about this passage of scripture Cool part of this passage of scripture is that God doesn't leave it there. He doesn't leave it there. So, so, parents in the room, whether your kids are at home or grown up and off to college or out of college and off working, and now your grandparents, maybe you'll see your kids and grandkids and all that during the Christmas holidays. How many of you punished your kids indefinitely? Send them to their room and never let them out ever. They're still there 30 years later. (laughs) I know you tried it. You wanted to. It was tempting. It was really tempting. You didn't even send them to your room. You sent them into their room. You sent them like somebody else's house forever. You don't live here anymore. Right? You're not that kind of parent. You're not that kind of parent. Even if you did send them to their room for the rest of the day, you would still let them out to use the bathroom. You'd still make sure that they ate, even if they had to, you know, you had to slide a, flatten a sandwich and slide it under their door. Put them a potato chip at a time under there. You would still make sure they ate, right? You'd take care of them. Look at what God does. It says there in verse eight, that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. I'm grateful for that sentence. I'm grateful for that sentence, not because Noah was awesome, but because of that that statement. Noah found favor. This passage of scripture shows us that God gives us grace because grace is the provision for our, It's God's provision for our corruption. Grace is God's provision for our corruption. God looks at what's going on in the earth and he is grieved, and He wants to wipe them all out and he sees Noah. You remember Noah was the one who was was said of his father, this one's gonna give us rest. Little did his daddy know what Noah was actually gonna be able to do, who Noah was actually gonna be. But it says here that Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. It goes on and says, these are the records of the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his time. Noah walked with God. Noah walked with God. Now let's reflect on this for just a quick second. I love the word favor. Now we use the word favor different than its biblical context. We use the word favor as in, hey, can you do something for me? Hey, could you do me a favor? Could you uh, run to the store and pick up uh, a loaf of bread and some milk because it's like 30 degrees outside and um, there's no clouds but it might snow? Um, and we all know if it snows around here, you don't go anywhere for a year. Um, but, but favor means to receive grace. I, I, want you, I want you to capture this with me. Favor is receiving grace. We, we can understand this about Noah. Hear this verse this way. But Noah received grace in the eyes of Of the Lord. Noah received grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah experienced grace. Noah experienced something that other people did not experience in his day. He was altogether different. He was wholly set apart because why? He walked with God. He received grace. The fullest extension of grace is found in the ability to walk with God. The fullest extension of grace is found in the ability to walk with God. Look at the corruption of the world, yet Noah is walking with God. Look at the the, the grief of God and his desire to just wipe it all out. But Noah had the grace of God and was able to walk with God. And it was said of him that he was blameless and righteous, not because he was a good dude, but because he was walking with God. He had received grace. Look at America 2018. The only thing that sets you apart in this sanctuary from those that aren't in this sanctuary or in any other church context is you've received grace. The only thing that sets me apart from guys I went to high school with who who were still mingling around in Tifton doing nothing is, is I've received God's grace. I think back a lot of times too. One of my good friends in middle school and junior high got into some trouble with him time and again. I'm 36 years old now. Five years ago I found out that he had died. And because we live in social media world, a couple of people from high school or whatever were kind of messaging back and forth about it. And, and the details of his death were not really released, but ultimately he died of a heroin overdose in Phoenix City, Alabama. The only thing that set me apart from him when we were in 10th grade because even after I came to faith in Christ, I still tried to run with him. I still tried to hang with him. I still tried to do some of the things that he was doing because he was a good friend of mine. In 10th grade, I shifted. I changed course. I did something different. And he would ask me about it over the next couple of years in high school. And I tried try to explain to him what the grace of God meant. What it was The only difference between me and him was the grace of God. And were it not from the grace of God, I might've been in that house with him in Phoenix City, Alabama, doing the same thing he was doing. The only thing that sets us apart from the world is the grace of God. The only thing that set Noah apart from the world around him was the grace, the favor of God. It wasn't the wealth, it wasn't the riches, it wasn't that God was gonna bless him with this, 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 this. It was that God gave him his grace. Oh, we sing America the beautiful. God shed his grace on thee. May it be that we see the day that God's grace abounds in this country because the men and women of God who have received his grace stand up because of his grace and walk in that grace to demonstrate what the favor of the Lord truly looks like in a lost and dying generation. The grace of God is fully realized when we are able to walk with God but you do not walk with God unless you have Jesus Jesus Christ is the only way to experience the grace of God Everything that God wanted to offer, everything that God wanted to do, everything that God wanted to provide, He did when He sent His Son into this world and hung Him on a tree, arms spread wide, blood flowing down, to wash us of our wickedness. You thought the corruption could not get any worse, but it did that day when men and women, when people, when your sin and my sin put our Savior on a cross to die. But he didn't stay dead. He rose the third day to show that corruption has been been given its death sentence. That corruption will be overcome. That corruption has been given its final notice. That the Savior lives. The Savior breathes. The Savior saves. And he will save you today if you call on his name.